have rights also, civil rights, all kinds of rights. Speak up for your rights. You can't just let someone just come in and just run you out of your own community. Welcome back to Shifting Climate, Season 2. I said I wouldn't want to live in a place else. This is why I picked this place. Mm -hmm. My home has been sitting here since 1998, 20 years. We're in Buckingham County, about two hours south of Harrisonburg, where we live in Virginia. Yes, this is a historical black neighborhood. Okay. This this is a freedman slave uh, historical neighborhood. And we're talking with a woman named Ella Rose. My problem is, why did you pick a historical African neighborhood, American neighborhood, to plant it right in the middle of it? They had another choice. Do you know? Pick this one, but they they was anticipating no one speaking up or saying anything. They're just going to come in and do what they want to. Ella's been telling her story over and over again for the past four and a half years. She's fighting hard. What good is the money going to do you if you can't breathe or drink clean water? Mm-hmm. It's not going to do you any good. What's she fighting against? By the time the, the rescue squad come here, if this is an explosion over there, we're gone in a few seconds. Yeah. That's what we're here to talk about today. Welcome to season two of Shifting Climates, where we attempt to rehumanize the conversation on climate change. I'm Harrison Horst. And I'm Akila Mass. It's good to be back with you. Today, we'll be telling the story of a neighborhood along the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. It's a story of deceit and truth, of division and collaboration, of frustration and persistence. It's an environmental justice case study of sorts the first in a series that follows up our season one episodes. It takes us back to a week in March, when we took a road trip down to the neighborhood of Union Hill in Buckingham, Virginia. When we arrived, we knew that Union Hill was the site for a proposed compressor station to be built along the unfinished Atlantic Coast Pipeline, or ACP. The compressor station would pressurize the natural gas, pushing it down the 600-mile pipeline. And we had also heard about the resistance of the community against the pipeline and compressor station, concern about pollution, potential explosions, disruption of ecosystems, and health of the community. But when we showed up in Buckingham, all we had was a hotel reservation and a phone number to go off of. After a few phone calls, we found ourselves on a trail of interviews, talking to one person after another. Ella was among the first. We had met her on the phone earlier that morning. We were sitting at Ella's dinner table in her pink shuttered home just off the main road through the county. Around the house she has portraits of her siblings and nieces and nephews, framed photos of the Obama family, and hundreds of little state bird statues from around the country. My name is Ella Rose and I live in Buckingham County. When we first talked to her on the phone, she wasn't sure she had enough to say, but it didn't take her long at all to start stating her mind. I retired in 2010, and I I, uh, relocated to this location in 2012. 2014, the compressor station project came along. Yeah, so it's been about four and a half years. Yeah, so I've been advocating and speaking every center, every meeting, and Every event that I can, the air board meeting, the, wa- uh, the water, DEQ. 
Adjacent to Ella's property is 68 acres owned by Dominion Energy, an energy company that services most of Virginia, including the Harrisonburg area. This piece of land is what brought us to Buckingham County in the first place. My property is 150 feet away from the, the property that Dominion purchased to uh, uh, build the compressor station on, so uh -huh. I'm the closest. Okay. And the compressor station will be one half mile away. The compressor station would have the capacity to move up to 1.5 billion cubic feet of fracked gas past Ella's home per day. It's one of three along the ACP, and it would be one of the largest in the country, proposed to run at 53,518 horsepower, or the equivalent of 180 Ford F-150 pickup trucks. And then they're going to build a telecommunication tile away to monitor the, the uh, compressor station one-third mile away. And then we have the campground one-third mile away that they're going to bring the workers in to work on the compressor station. So mm -hmm. I have it all. The construction on the compressor station has been delayed a number of times, but the trees in the way of the pipeline have already been felled. Ella's house is surrounded by woods, but if you walk just a half mile down the road, you find yourself struck by a long, straight, treeless path, the pipeline corridor. But still, when they cut the forest away, by me sitting, this is my favorite seat here. I sit here and watch the turkey, the deer, mm -hmm. everything comes through that foraging in my backyard. That's 24-7 uh, by that compressor station running 24-7. Every day of the week, it's going to run them out of, the, out of there. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to enjoy the animals that pass through here. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the telecommunication tower that they're going to build. Who's to say they have a bright light shining down over here, distorting the, the uh, universe that I love to watch the stars and the media showers when they come along. I just love the universe. Yeah. <laughs> I do. But harm to the environment isn't the only thing on Ella's mind. Being so close to large quantities of compressed gas is worrisome because, as Ella says, if something were to explode, she'd be gone in a second. And did they offer you anything or like how, so are they telling you that they'll compensate you for the No one confronted them? me with anything. This is what makes me advocate so hard. Right. They not, didn't even come to say, hi, I will be your neighbor. We will be your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And what was happening, nobody said anything. Since finding out about the station in 2014, Ella's written statements, attended public hearings, traveled to give speeches, and given comments at board meeting after board meeting. I told them that my, my uh, civil rights were violated. Mm -hmm. I felt abandoned by a process that does not serve me or consider my human rights. And because this is a matter of safety and health for Ella, she feels like she has no other choice. But I, I'm willing to go. To, to do my best to speak up, say what I can to help myself. You know, God help those that help themselves. You can't just sit and let someone else do it for you. This is an African-American neighborhood. You can't expect someone else to go out and do it for you. The day before, we had stopped in to speak with Ella's friends and neighbors, John and Ruby Lari. Oh, good. We have the mic, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when we arrived at the Lari's, we met John outside at the barn. He had been tending to the cattle and was wearing work boots, a flannel shirt, and a fray hat with ear flaps. He speaks with a measured, even tone of a thoughtful, relaxed and man. Also in the country right here, you can walk across the field or in the woods and you have time to think, meditate, and observe nature. 
Out in the cities, people buy tapes of water running over a rock to help them to sleep. <laughs> His wife, Ruby, also joined us, sitting across from us at the dining room table. Ruby has curly gray hair, soft eyes, and a warm demeanor. We hadn't realized how fast we'd been racing around until we arrived at the lorries and sat down to talk with them. Uh, oak trees, certain oak trees had uh, oak balls. We used to eat them. If you catch the right one, it's good. Had the oak what? Oak balls. Huh. Little fluffy white balls <laughs> came off certain oak trees. And it's good. <laughs> and, uh, John and Ruby live a couple miles from Ella, northeast of the proposed compressor station. They moved here to John's childhood home with the expectation to relax and retire. Expecting to kick your feet up and relax. And one day this little lady came by, called Chad. She was determined to. Yes, she, she was. And she started telling us about what was going on. And we, we hadn't heard anything. Mm -hmm. So she told us about natural gas. And I said, well, we have natural gas in California. I, I don't, what's the problem? But after hearing more of the details, they agreed to attend the next meeting with Friends of Buckingham. It took me a long time to stand up to say anything because I'm really not a speaker. And then finally I say, well, I, well, I have to get up and say something because, you know, this is affecting our area. See, the amount of, of uh, poisonous, uh, the emission coming from that, a station of this size, this is a monster. It's measured in tons. We learned from John and Ruby that explosions aren't the only threat of the compressor station. John got out a whole stack of pipeline binders to show us a list published by Dominion of air pollutants emitted by the compressor station. Uh, nitrogen oxide, sulfur it includes carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, formaldehyde, and other volatile organic compounds. Mm -hmm. And then your particulates uh, as well. We don't know the exact amount of uh, the uh, poison that be emitted because these figures, Dominion is in control. Many of these compounds are known carcinogens and are heavier than air, so they don't disperse upward. And also, there's something called a blowdown that happens periodically, when a station releases compressed gas into the air to adjust the pressure of the gas in the pipeline. Blowdowns release large quantities of methane, a main component of natural gas, which likewise don't disperse. But it does cause respiratory problems. We've seen, seen videos of people that live in the area and they will have nosebleeds, oh headaches, God. and some people have um, cancer, okay. develop cancer. That's so. people who live near compressor stations yes. Yes. in other places. Mm -hmm. The environmental impact statement by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission warns of increased asthma and lung cancer risk to those living around compressor stations, especially to vulnerable populations. It points out that African-American communities have a higher risk of asthma to begin with and because of that, they say, this community is especially sensitive. But the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality, or DEQ, also states that the levels of exposure from the compressor station wouldn't be dangerous, in part because air pollution levels in Buckingham are already really low. But from the Lari's perspective, this seems contradictory. If you put it, there's no way if you put add any amount to the air, 
it's a hazard. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you're going to pump tons into it. And uh, what was that, Paler? The one that said the uh, air's too clean. <laughs> yes, they told us that our air was just too clean. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> so it's okay if we pollute your air. <laughs> that is so crazy. One thing we learned that we found troublesome is that the compressor station doesn't have to go in this community at all. In fact, we heard that this was the third proposed spot and Dominion did purchase land for an alternative site further south in Buckingham County. This brings us back to the idea of environmental justice, something we encountered a number of times in season one, that communities of color are more likely to be exposed to landfills, factories, and other sites of pollution. The story of Union Hill seems to fulfill that trend. It started with a bunch of lies, special use permit. They lied and said there was no cultural uh, yeah, value in this area and no historical value. And the reasons for that would make it easier for them to get a special use permit. So can you tell us a little bit about the cultural and the historical value of this area? <laughs> this is a freedman slave area. Mm -hmm. And we don't know, we have, we're still researching now. We have a lot of slave cemeteries but we just really began to get involved with them. He told us that back in 1869, the courthouse in Buckingham burned down of unnatural causes, destroying the documentation of slavery with it. But recently, there's been a lot of work done to uncover the historical details of the area, and there's still land in the area owned by descendants of plantation owners. There's a lot, still a lot of land from slave owners. Uh, Variety Shade is one of their leading names. In this area. As it turns out, the land purchased for the compressor station once belonged to that very plantation, Variety Shade. The descendants of the plantation owners made off with a cool $2.5 million for the land when they sold it a few years ago, a price that's almost unheard of in Buckingham County. That's why they put in that proposed compressor station. They bought a section of land there and paid $37,200 per acre. No land in Buckingham worth that much money. On top of that, some of the descendants of the slaves who worked at the plantation still live in the Union Hill neighborhood, many of whom are now fighting the compressor station, a striking reminder that history does repeat itself. These big corporations just running over people, running, running the government, it's not only us, it's other areas too. Yeah. Mostly it's, it's people of color, low income, mm -hmm. um, people, which is sad. This is what set the lorries on the path they're on now, advocating not only for themselves, but for other communities of color in the same position. Well, I guess I'm interested in if this kind of journey has changed, um, changed how you think about the world or, or yourselves. Indeed, it has. Yes, brought many things to my attention. Even made the Word of God more alive. And I've been reading the scriptures about we are stewards. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes the Lord will take you out of your comfort zone and you see how things are going on. Mm -hmm. And if um, she hadn't come to the door that day, we wouldn't have known anything. Yes. You know, so if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. But we won't know if we just give up. So you got to keep going. 
you got to keep fighting for what you believe is right. And that's what I'm doing. And my granddaughter calls me an activist. I said, they call me an activist. She says, damn, you are. <laughs> Do you think you're an activist? <laughs> I must be. <laughs> John and Ruby and Ella are part of a well-established resistance among the community members of Union Hill, and we'd heard that there was one person who was kind of behind it all. So, when did you first hear about the pipeline and compressor station project? Do you remember? Oh, do you like? Do you remember the day you first heard about it? Uh, about five years ago, from Chad Ober. One day, this little lady came by, called Chad. And she is uh, the co-founder of Friends of Buckingham. I heard about it from the president of Friends of Buckingham. I'm Chad Oba, the president of Friends of Buckingham. She's my neighbor. She lived, it's Chaz Oba. She lived a mile away from, from my home. And we did track her down eventually. She lives just around the corner from Ella's house. We found ourselves sitting in her living room, cups of tea in hand and rain falling heavily outside. Um, well, my name is Chad Oba, and uh, I live here in central Buckingham County in the Union Hill neighborhood. And uh, I founded, uh, together with a, another smaller group of people, some of whom you've already met, uh, Friends of Buckingham. Chad was the first person in the neighborhood to hear about the pipeline and compressor station. It all started back in September of 2014 when a friend called. Uh, she said, um, you know, Chad, I, I think that they're thinking of putting that compressor station as part of this pipeline somewhere in your neighborhood. As a matter of fact, Dominion was going to have a meeting that very evening, so I knew that probably the story that most people were going to get and maybe not even question would be very different than the actual impact it would have. And so I thought, well, we've, we, I've got to do something. That something turned out to be two chairs, a poster, and some fact sheets handed out at the meeting. But it wasn't long before a word spread. And then I um, started to go around to the churches. And um, <clears throat> I was passing by Union Grove Church one day, and there was a car in front, and I stopped. And I tapped on the window, and it turned out to be Pastor Paul. And... Uh, uh, he rolled down the window and I said, um, can I talk to you? <laughs> and he said, sure, and I told him what was going on. And the first thing he said to me was, that's not going to happen. And so we became compatriots instantly. So with the newly formed Friends of Buckingham, they were ready for action. They worked diligently to get the word out, but it wasn't until they attended a meeting three years in that they got the attention they were looking for. The meeting was hosted by the Council on Environmental Justice, appointed by the Governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. And uh, we got their attention, uh, and they, they came out, we hosted them for a couple of days, toured them around, uh, had people give testimony like Ella and Ada and uh, Pastor mm -hmm. Paul, and uh, they listened, mm -hmm. and they researched, and they went back and they, they made a recommendation to the Governor. Mm -hmm for a moratorium on both pipelines and uh, identified this as, as, a, uh, as an environmental justice issue. 
and an immediate halt to the pipeline. And this seemed fairly promising. Here we have a governor who creates an environmental justice council in the first place and a committee who's doing their job well. It was sent to the governor, who was basically pushed aside and ignored. Hmm. So he ignored his own advisory group. Hmm. I think that really was a turning point for us. Mm-hmm. It, it really, it, it, the word got out to so many more people that this really was a, a big environmental justice issue. Like John and Ruby, when she started talking about environmental justice, Chad pointed out the symbolic irony of the compressor station going on what used to be plantation land. As it turns out, Variety Shades was the name of a large plantation mm-hmm. here. You've probably heard part of the story at least. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that live nearby in these small pieces of property, like the lorries, these were hard-earned <clears throat> pieces of property. Mm-hmm. They didn't come easily. Right. So the really compelling part of that is so while the people who still had interest in Variety Shades, who were the descendants of the original owners, made off with this enormous amount of money. But that's not all. As part of the regulatory process, there are standards used to determine whether communities qualify as environmental justice populations, an attempt to protect communities like Union Hill. But when FERC analyzed the census data for this area, the numbers came out all wrong. Dominion um, just looked at the overall census in the the entire county. They didn't actually go to the area where the compressor station was Mm -hmm. and find Mm -hmm. out who lived there. They knew darn well who lived here. but you know. They said, you know, they based it on uh, an overall census. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we pointed out the inaccuracy of that. That was questioned. Dominion's documents stated that the area within one mile around the compressor station is sparsely populated, with 29.6 people per square mile, of which over 60% are white. But the community knew that this couldn't be true. So they took matters into their own hands, and they got in touch with Dr. Lakshmi Fjord, an anthropology professor at the nearby University of Virginia. Um, I and others in the community did a demographic study with her to determine just how many African Americans were being impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, We went door to door. This is the EPA's recommended uh, way to look at a community and see what the demographics are is to actually go to people's homes, Mm -hmm. and we did. And what did they find? Within one mile of the proposed station, there are 99 homes that house 199 people. And of those people, most are minorities. We came up with a figure of 83%. 83% minority and 17% white. And this matters because Dominion used their own numbers in the FERC application and all local and state permit hearings the same hearings that determined the vulnerability of the population to pollution like we talked about with John, and that approved the location of the compressor station in the first place. So when we realized, I mean, that was, when I realized that and, you know, the story began to go out, that's what I think really drew in people. And then the story was told right after August 12th. Was it August 12th or 13th in Charlottesville? Oh. And the terrible events that had happened there. Mm-hmm. So we were madly going, here, folks, here, mm-hmm. it exists here, too. Mm-hmm. In Dr. Fjord's words, it was an erasure of the very existence, name, population, race, and former slave history of Union Hill. 
it's been such a lesson for me because I knew my immediate neighbors, but I didn't know everybody in Union Hill. Mm -hmm. And I, I learned a lot about what it is being white, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, my privilege as a white person, even though, I mean, we're low income, mm -hmm. you know, we struggle, but we don't have on top of that, you know, a color that determines who we are and what, what we are entitled to. Back in 2014, Chad started Friends of Buckingham as an environmentalist. And while I don't know this for sure, it seems that this journey has changed her, that she's now fighting for justice, yes, still for all of creation, but now especially for her neighbors. And now I just, I feel like I've been so enriched by these relationships. I mean, Elle is my best friend, I swear to God. <laughs> you know, I mean, I love, Elle and I just look like this. And that's been the upside of this as far as I'm concerned. We have one last person for you to meet from the Union Hill community. You've heard mention of him already, and he's pretty crucial to this story. Meeting him took us just another mile or two down the road to Union Grove Baptist Church. First of all, I'm a pastor, and I'm concerned about your souls, okay? That's my first priority. But I have another responsibility, and that responsibility is I'm concerned about the trees and the land and the water and the air and the animals. Who speaks for all of those? This is Pastor Paul Wilson. I am the Reverend Paul Wilson. Paul M. Wilson. Pastor Paul is a confident man. He brings bold energy to the group and a clear understanding of right and wrong. Okay. We have three children, six grandchildren, one great-grandchild. Despite his very busy schedule, he drove over from the next county to meet us at the church one sunny afternoon. Um, I've been a pastor for 46, 47 years. I've been over here about 20 years. And what, what's the name of the church? Oh, this is Union Grove. This is the Union Grove Church. The Union Grove Church is where the Friends of Buckingham meetings began nearly five years ago. And Pastor Paul has been a part of those conversations from the very beginning, ever since Chad Oba tapped on his car window all those years ago. Well, I was sympathetic. And most, most of us were, we were sympathetic to what Chad was saying. But we wanted to know the impacts that it was having in this area. Pastor Paul had been on the industrial board two counties over, so he was aware of the pipeline before Chad approached him. The industrial board and Pastor Paul along with them had actually voted to approve the pipeline. But we were given the spill about jobs and, you know, and the economic values of this pipeline. Mm -hmm. And that's what Dominion did. That was part of their strategy. And I'm like, you know, I'm like a lot of folks, I'm thinking with Dominion, they're the professionals. They're supposed to know. Like Pastor Paul says, they're the experts. But then... But then as you start asking questions, doing your homework, and listening, and, and you know, going out and, and talking with some folk who have compressor stations in their communities, and finding out their problems that they're having, their situations, and a lot of this stuff doesn't make any sense. And then you certainly you realize it's all about money. And that's what this pipeline is about. It's an economic project. And even Dominion will tell you that. After doing some research, Pastor Paul found that Dominion gets a guaranteed return on investment, or ROI, just by building the pipeline, which is made possible by the state of Virginia's support for natural gas projects. And what is more, the cost of the project which is now above $7 billion, can actually be recovered by charging the ratepayers. 
What's going, what happens with these pipelines is that the community bears the brunt mm -hmm. of everything. Okay. And then even in the end, as far as since this is a, a an electric utility, the rate payers pay for everything. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, good or bad, the rate payers pay and the stockholders get a return. Everything is about the dollar. And that's part of what the secular world is about. And according to Pastor Paul, once you start talking about money, then you're talking about power. It's, it's a civil rights situation. It's a moral issue. It's a social issue. It's an injustice issue. It's, it's really about the have and the have not. Excuse me, the game is always the same. Just the players are changing. Okay. The issues are always the same. But the issues come down to two things. Power and money. You can put it in either order you want, but it's power, money. And the third part of it is control. The game that Pastor Paul is talking about here is systemic racism. And Union Hill, along with other African-American communities, has had to work hard over the years to find any sense of autonomy within that system. And so we build communities, and, and because of segregation, our communities always remain close. Most of these churches came out of a white church. And so they say, oh, no, we don't want y'all here. We're going to let y'all worship over here, just at, over here in the corner of the field, under the trees, and we're going to have somebody watching you. You understand? Mm -hmm. Those churches sprang out. So, so it's about survival. These communities are about survival. And these churches, you know, sometimes the folk worship the church more than they worship God because they know what they had to do to build these churches. How many chicken dinners and pig feet dinners they had to sell? How many uh, seed rallies? Uh, you know, and any kind of freedom that you had, you had it in the church. So that's why these communities are so important. When everything else is gripped tightly by those in power, your language, your history, your culture, then church is one of the only places where freedom exists. But in Union Hill, because of the proposed compressor station, this is starting to no longer be true. And the base. Part of the game plan is to keep folk divided. That's what segregation was about, to keep you divided. And there are always, there's always been different types of segregation. We passed one Jim Crow. There's a new Jim Crow out now. It's all about division. So the pipeline divides us. The pipeline has divided our church because um, there are a certain number of members in our church who are going to receive some money if the pipeline goes through, if the compressor station comes. It's reported that one of our members is going to get over a million dollars. And he was against the pipeline, and when he got news that he had something that Dominion wanted. And so now, he's for the compressor station. He's for the pipeline. That's what they do, and they play it well. It's division. The division Pastor Paul is talking about represents a strange dichotomy of the situation in Buckingham. Some people, like Chad and Ella, have formed new friendships in a broader community, even with people far outside county lines. But simultaneously, the project is causing rifts between friends and family and the community itself. Plan B came along, mm -hmm. and it really made a change. Mm -hmm. Rather than seek and speak truth, uh, silence set in and uh, 
and start looking for the doll. We're back with John Laurie now, and he's talking about Plan B, a group of community members organizing in support of the compressor station. It was one of uh, the members of our community. Mm-hmm. He said, look, I'm from this community. I don't want to see this coming. I'm with you. But more than likely it's coming. I want to see you get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Sound logical, mm-hmm. reasonable. That led to a series of meetings between community members and Dominion. So in April of 2018, Dominion uh, came up with a plan. Let's partner with the community. So we had our first meeting at Crystal Cathedral in Dillwyn. And the question was asked, what do the community want from Dominion? And the community responded. It's so, when, why don't you mention money? People, their attitudes change. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're saying, oh, we can have a community center and uh, or maybe a swimming pool and, you know, things like that. But mm-hmm. And then they came up with other plans and they're sort of like divided our community. That's what it is. Dominion presented a package to the community worth over $5 million, including a new community center dedicated to improving health, wellness, education, cultural, and economic development of Buckingham County, and a series of upgrades to emergency response equipment and staff. But for the Lorries, it just didn't make sense, especially when the community center would be right across the street from the compressor station. One man said, look, you want to put a crack house in the middle of the community, and then you want to offer to build a hospital. Why don't you just move the crack? Don't even think about building a crack house. Then you won't need to put the hospital here. Do you have friends or family members that yeah. you found yourself on the opposite side of? Yes. This issue? <laughs> How has that gone? <laughs> we don't hate anyone, but... Uh, it just, it's just like a pity thing. How can you just do that to other people in the community? It's almost like selling your soul to the devil. <laughs> yeah. To. yeah. And some of them, it's... as soon as they get the money, they're going to move on. Mm. And we're left stuck with this poison polluter. Mm-hmm. That's... What good is money if you, you know, it's not, it's your health that matters. Mm-hmm. It's people's health that matters. Mm-hmm. I don't care how much money. And, and they did say, it was in the newspaper, that they offered the Union Hill community $5 million. But that's not true, because mm-hmm. it wasn't the whole community. Yeah. See? Mm-hmm. But $5 million? That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's not even a drop in the bucket. I think Ruby's downplaying this a little. $5 million worth of aid would be a huge boon to the Union Hill community, and the proposal does include 35 instances in which Dominion met community members to discuss the proposal, which is impressive to say the least. But I have to ask, for a community concerned about the health risks of the compressor station, will building a park adjacent to that station really satisfy any of their concerns? And I also wonder about the emergency responder's salary support, which lasts four years, 
or the funding for the proposed community development cooperation, which would last 10 years. What happens to those positions when the funding stops? The question remains, does the community package come from Dominion's earnest desire to be a good neighbor, or is it a shameless ploy to divide the Buckingham community and push to get the pipeline approved as soon as possible? I think what I find most concerning is that this was the response to a call for justice. So let's just give Dominion and the regulatory agencies the benefit of the doubt for a moment, and let's say that the placement of the compressor station in a minority community was unintentional. Let's even say that they weren't aware of their faulty demographic data. The problem is that when they were confronted, and when people started calling this environmental racism, this was their response. Slap a bandaid on it and sidestep the real problem. Unintentional injustice is what makes racism systematic. It's part of a pattern that can only be counteracted by being proactive. And yet the pattern persists in Union Hill. So this is this is why we're here. Mm -hmm. You could basically in nature just sit outside and automatically fall into a meditative state. Mm -hmm. Nature is God's expression. So. All right, so we're on the part two of this episode. Up until this point, we've been spending our time in Union Hill, but we're about to get into the part of the story where we encounter an unexpected coalition. It takes us close to the James River, five miles down the road from John and Ruby. So uh, to me, as a Native American, I see this as my altar. This is God, God's gift, and uh, I can offer back my adoration of this. This is Jiva Abate, and we're walking around a place called Yogaville, where Jiva lives and works. A pipeline would come down at the far end of where that uh, bend is in the river, and it's on the next couple properties over, and then as it comes in, it comes within a thousand feet, which is kind of on the far end of where the trees are over there. Mm -hmm. But it's close enough to be within 3,000 feet of uh, our temple right there. You heard me right. Yogaville, a spiritual center and yoga academy just a few miles away from Union Hill. And yes, they do have a temple called the Light of Truth Universal Shrine, or Lotus for short. But that's uh, another sacred site, and uh, just beautiful views, just yeah. really exquisite. Wow. They're going to have to dig underneath the river, uh -huh. and the construction is going to result in a lot of problem displacing of mud. You know, we, could, we have a litany of all the terrible things that could happen, but the main thing is we have created this environment that we want to protect, and it's now being threatened by uh, a close mammoth pipeline. The Buckingham County saga wouldn't be complete without a visit to Yogaville, which has unexpectedly turned out to be Union Hill's biggest local ally in the fight against the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. The ACP is planned to cross the James River just a few thousand feet upstream from Yogaville. We sat down to talk with Jiva in front of the shrine to Yogaville's founder, Swami Sachidananda. 
I'm Joseph Jiva Abate. Everyone calls me Jiva. Uh, we're here at Yogaville in central Virginia, Buckingham County. And uh, we're in the forest, and it's an ideal setting for us to uh, meditate and work on our health and serve other people that want to relax and dive into yoga. Jiva is a businessman by trade, but has found renewed life as a member of the Yogaville community, where he's a part of the Yogaville Environmental Solutions Team, or YES for short. Uh, I was raised a Christian, and in my first deep meditation, I didn't expect it, but I felt that I had an experience of Christ in my heart. So I feel doubly rewarded that I could experience something I was brought up, um, having great respect for, and then to find that the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is within us, you know, just as it was described. In the last few years, the YES team has worked hard to catch up in what they see as their ethical responsibility to tread lightly on the environment. And this has led to a major solar installation, a community-wide energy audit, and of course, pipeline resistance advocacy. This is really, to me, the most important thing for me as a yogi and a Christian, to do this and be willing to sacrifice my own comfort. Uh, I won't always win. I won't always be right. And there will be people that I'll be hearing saying complete opposite of what I understand the facts to be. To stay calm, for me, is my meditation in action. To be there keeping in the spirit of Christ while this person is lying to my face, <laughs> that's my practice. Ever since he found out about the pipeline, Jiva has been hard at work researching the many details involved. He prides himself on getting down to the facts and the science of the situation. And after going to dozens of Dominion presentations, there's one thing about it all that still boggles his mind. They refused to talk about explosions. They didn't want to approach it, and they didn't want me to show pictures of fires or anything. They said, That's, we don't want you to show that. The pipeline company doesn't want to address the danger because then it brings up the idea that they're dangerous, mm -hmm. which is hilarious because it's a hazardous fuel. Okay, honest confession here. I've always felt that the fear of pipeline explosions is way over-sensationalized. But I looked up the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, PIMSA, that Jiva mentioned to us. They're a government agency that tracks pipeline incidents, among other things. And for the last 20 years, there have been an average of 30 incidents per year involving a fatality or serious injury, and nearly 300 per year involving more than $50,000 in damages. Those are not low numbers. Now, when it comes to Buckingham, most of the safety issues come down to this. Because the compressor station and pipeline would be in a rural area, the safety regulations are significantly downgraded. Because in the case of the Union Hill compressor station location, it's rural. That means they can have the valves farther away. Mm -hmm. So there's more gas between the valves. Mm -hmm. They're more distant. That means there's more gas to burn mm -hmm. if something cracks or explodes. Valve distance is a big deal because when a pipe bursts, there isn't much a responder can do besides close the valves on either end of the explosion and wait until the gas in that segment burns out. Natural gas pipelines in urban areas are required to have valves as often as every two miles but in rural areas, that rate is lowered to every 15.6 miles. And on top of that, the thickness of the pipes are allowed to be 75% thinner in rural areas than in urban areas. And uh, we've criticized Dominion mm -hmm. for not providing safety precautions. 
And uh, so for four and a half, five years, they did nothing. And we kept saying, you need to give us an evacuation plan. Mm -hmm. Nothing. So Jiva spends a lot of his time and energy trying to change the narrative around the pipeline. I respond daily to comments from pro-pipeline people who say, jobs and more energy and we need this. So now that we have the science and facts on this, uh, we can uh, state the truth, which is that uh, the pipelines that are currently supplying those same areas, those pipelines are underutilized currently. When it comes to Jiva's research, there's one big kicker, and this is what Jiva is trying to tell anyone who will listen. So building another pipeline is unnecessary. Building two pipelines that draw from the same shale deposits in West Virginia and deliver to the same areas is absurd because we don't need even one of them. We don't need the pipeline to begin with. That's the base, That's the 800-pound gorilla. There's no need for either the MVP or the ACP. So if this is true, then why are they building it at all? Well, one of Jeeva's theories leans upon the idea of stranded assets. Research will show you that these are stranded assets in the ground that all the market wants out so it can be sold. So the problem is there's a glut of natural gas. Fracking has created lots of cheap gas. And in fact, the latest Wall Street Journal says they haven't been making any profit on the pumping of this. They've just been putting it out, getting loans to put it out more, hoping the price will go up. As the energy market continues to transition to cleaner and cleaner sources of energy, the demand for any fossil fuel, including natural gas, will go down. So if you're an energy company and you own a state and a half's worth of natural gas deposits, you want to get that stuff into the market as quickly as possible before it becomes stranded. But the story doesn't end there. Jiva is suspicious of the ACP's stated goal to bring cheap energy to North Carolina and Virginia. Why? Because initially, he himself was hoping Yogaville could use some of the natural gas running through the ACP. Then we found out that well, this pipeline was coming, and I thought, well, for the sake of developing our community, we'll tap into the pipe, and we'll have natural gas, and maybe we can cut our costs in half. I mean, they're promising cheap gas. So we started to look into it. But here's the catch. It cost over $5 million for a tap into that pipeline. And that's right from Dominion's mouth, okay? I said, I'd like to tap it. And they said, it'll cost you $5 million. I don't have that. <laughs> so if the natural gas won't be going to the communities along the line, where will it be going? So I said, well, how could anyone come up with that? And they said, well, that's why this is not for any of the communities on the line. It's going down where there's already distributed gas, which is crazy. But... I didn't realize that in the back of this whole proposal is the fact that it's going to connect to Transco. The Transco pipeline that Jiva is talking about is a major north-to-south natural gas pipeline that runs from the Gulf of Mexico up to Maryland and New Jersey. And historically, the Transco pipeline and its respective ports, including the Cove Point in Maryland, have imported natural gas to the U.S., but then in 2013, Cove Point was converted to handle exports, around the same time the plans for the ACP were drawn up. They'll be able to ship gas overseas at Cove Point, where Transco connects to the LNG terminal. So you can start to see the dominoes lining up here. But here's the most important part. 
Even though the ACP itself isn't planned to go to any ports, it will intersect with the Transco pipeline, which does have exportation facilities, like at Cove Point. And where will it cross? At Compressor Station Number 2 in Buckingham, Virginia. What they were saying is, just trust us. We're Dominion. And what I told them is, from my research, you're a good company. Okay? You keep our lights on. But I would not hire you to build a pipeline unless I desperately needed to have a pipeline. And there's nobody in this country that desperately needs another pipeline that I know of. Now, for our region, for these two pipelines, there's no need. And they're going to be challenged heavily on that. So why is it a big deal that Dominion is sinking money into a project that's not needed? Well, aside from the safety risks posed by the pipeline and compressor station, there is actually a significant legal concern wrapped up in all of this, eminent domain. Eminent domain is the process by which governments can claim private property, justly compensating the owner for projects that are for public use, like roads and government buildings. The ACP has pursued dozens of eminent domain claims after it was approved by FERC in 2017. But if the pipeline will be used to export natural gas rather than serve it domestically, does it really qualify for the grounds of public use? That's the basis for eminent domain, to be allowed to be exercised by a profit-making organization in the name of the common good. But when the common good is not served by a 600-mile pipeline intruding upon hundreds of property owners, lowering their property value, causing them a threat, impacting their land use, raising our rates, you have to ask, why is this happening? Well, the biggest reason appears to be for profit. Now, again, we're not against profit, but if you want to take my property for a for-profit thing, not for the common good, you have to make me a partner, okay? Uh, maybe I'll let you use my land, but not for a negotiated minimal price. But more than anything, Jiva simply feels that natural gas is a thing of the past. It's time to move on, he says. 20 years ago, natural gas was the bridge to the future of clean energy. Now natural gas has served its purpose. We don't need to expand it. We need to use what we have and start to diminish it. Uh, I look at it as a surfer. The wave is coming. You can either wait and get smashed, or you can start paddling and catch the wave and ride it. So here's what we learned from Jiva. The ACP endangers rural residents by use of thinner pipes and fewer shutoff valves. The natural gas won't actually serve communities along the pipeline and may actually be exported via connection with the Transco pipeline. And there may be some questionable uses of eminent domain, all for a pipeline that Jiva claims isn't even needed. That's a lot to take in, but Jiva's not the only member of Yogoville involved in pipeline resistance. You know, they say um, adversity is a blessing in disguise. It is because the proposed pipeline came into our neighborhood that we came together. There is one more member of this story we have yet to introduce, Swami Dayananda. My name is Swami Dayananda. I'm one of the monastics at Sachidayananda Ashram Yogaville. Swami Dayananda, often enduringly called Swami D by members of Union Hill, has close-cropped gray hair and glasses. 
She carries an energy that is both steadying and energizing, the type of energy that makes you want to sit and talk with her for hours. We ate lunch with Swami D in the Yogaville cafeteria and talked with her afterward. I was born in Japan. At 15, my parents brought me to Portland, Oregon. From there, after high school, I came to New York City and lived in Manhattan for 10 years. When she was 35 years old, Swami D stepped into the Integral Yoga Institute for the first time and experienced one of the most peaceful moments of her life. And then I said to myself, this is what I want more than anything else. And so I kept going. And three years later, I was able to be ordained as a Swami, which is a monk, uh, a life of renunciation. And so I've lived in Yogaville since 1983. Swami Dayananda was featured heavily in the Washington Post article about the resistance that came out last year, entitled, The Baptists and the Yogis Joined Together to Fight a Pipeline. The article notes that the relationship between the two demographics hasn't always been positive, but the pipeline resistance has changed that. Uh, I remember the first day I went to Union Hill Church because they were sponsoring a meeting about Atlantic Coast Pipeline to find out more. That was the first time she walked into the church and the first time that she met Pastor Paul. They quickly realized that they, along with their respective communities, had a common ground fighting for the human rights of clean water and clean air. We did so many things together, and uh, very soon we were praying together, uh, and then we were eating together, and we were gathering and singing together. Naturally, we became really deepest of friends. Pastor Paul and Swami became close friends and allies themselves, and having met both of them, we can attest to the unlikeliness of that friendship. You know, you realize he's a Baptist pastor, you know, with some very specific uh, theology. But he would get up on the pulpit and say, I went to Yogaville and visited that interface shrine, and I've gotten to know the people of Yogaville. He looked at me at one point, he said, I have been putting God in the box. The strangeness and beauty of that relationship manifested itself in an event co-hosted by Yogaville and Union Hill in 2018. We asked Pastor Paul if he would invite Krishna Das, who is a world-renowned chanter in Hindu tradition. I thought it would be wonderful to have him chant in Baptist church, to come together, more Yogaville people and Union Hill together. He said yes. He's a very open person, very open. So the day came and everyone gathered in Union Hill at this Black Baptist church to hear the renowned Hindu chanter Krishna Das. I was a little bit not sure what's going to happen because Krishna Das, I thought he was going to do, because he does gospel, so I thought he would just do more gospel from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But he actually started with chanting Om and then started to chant uh, Hindu chant. Jaya Ram, Jaya Ram, Jaya Ram, uh, Om Om, something like this. And Pastor Paul got a little nervous. <laughs> I know he wouldn't mind me telling you the story because he said it himself. He turned around to me and said, what is he saying? Because in this church, we do only say things we know what it means. So I told him what I know of the chant, which is that he's just chanting Victory to God, victory to the divine, you know? Mm-hmm. Jai means uh, yeah. victory. Rama is a name of God. 
<laughs> oneness, one God. <laughs> uh, and Pastor Paul was satisfied with that answer. But as soon as Krishnadas stopped the chanting, he asked Krishnadam his. And thankfully, and because it's the truth, Krishnadas said exactly the same thing as I said. <laughs> so, so he was, yeah, okay, victory to God. That is a universal message. When he was wrapping up, Krishna Das announced that he would end with an ancient chant, one that they may or may not know. Then he started with, Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. Do you know that song? Yeah. Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. I mean, you just seen Pastor Paul. He jumped up <laughs> and started to dance and go around the, the, the aisle. Everybody stood up. African-American, white people, yoga people, everybody. And we were just dancing in joy. That's what it is, the joy. The joy in the faith and of God is, is what is the common ground between us. There's no difference between Baptists and yogis. <laughs> so we're having great time. We continue to have great time. The partnership between Yogaville and Union Hill is surprising. It's inspiring, an unbelievable testament to the way love can triumph amidst evil. For Swami Dayananda and many others engaged in this conversation, adversity has indeed been a blessing in disguise. As the years have progressed, the Baptists and Yogis have been successful in garnering attention and support. They're joined in their resistance by hundreds of people across the country and world which is part of the irony in the way the community stands divided today. Friends and neighbors have turned their backs to one another, but simultaneously, hundreds of allies stand by Ella, Chad, John, Ruby, Jiva, and Swami D. For Dominion, this is just another business deal, but for those in Buckingham, it has become their lives. As it currently stands, construction on the ACP has now been delayed for over two years. The pipeline is held up in a number of state and federal courts as the ACP struggles to pull together the last few permits needed for the project. But the ACP seems determined to finish, responding to the holdups by saying, quote, Make no mistake, we will complete this project. Opponents delay tactics will not stop this project. End quote. And to that, Yogoville and Union Hill respond yet again with insistence that they are in it for the long haul. Yes, I do have a great hope, actually. That proposed compressor station was supposed to have been operating. You know, I think if you're not angry, you're not alive, quite honestly, because there's an awful lot to be angry about in this world. I think all of us are called upon. And we're going to continue to fight it and trust God that it don't come. Right. And when you speak the truth, there are people who try to tear that truth apart. Because they thought we were going to just, you know, Roll over and not say anything. Mm -hmm. They take kindness for weakness. Mm -hmm. I'm very kind to you, but you keep on thinking I'm weak. <laughs> oh, God. Shh. 
Shifting Climates is produced in collaboration with Sarah Longnecker, who is also our photographer and web designer. Theme music is by Jesse Reist and Madeline Miller. Credits music is by Luke Mullet, and transition music is by Maria Yoder, Maya Garber, Perry Blosser, and John Bishop. Special thanks goes to the Center for Sustainable Climate Solutions, who is sponsoring this project. And a big shout out to Andy King for organizing the event that helped spark all of these interviews. You can find us at www.shiftingclimates.com. Check out the photo essay that goes along with this episode, previews of episodes to come, and more. And just a few more things before we go. We really enjoyed putting this episode together, but as we researched, we started to grasp just how detailed and sometimes contradictory the information out there is. So take a look for yourselves if you're interested and do some digging. And second, we realized that we didn't talk about climate change very much at all this episode. So here's your homework. Do some thinking about that this week and come back for episode two. It'll come together, we promise. I'm Harrison Horst. And I'm Michaela Mast. See you next week. Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that this episode was updated with corrections on June 13th, 2019. For more details, see our downloadable transcript at www.shiftingclimates.com slash season-2-ep-1.